You are listening to the Balmetto State Podcast, where we have conversations about all things basketball with a South Carolina flavor. Let's get started and tip off this episode with your host, the head basketball coach at Westwood High School, John Combs. Welcome to the Balmetto State Podcast. Our guest for Episode 9 is South Carolina State's Heads Men's Basketball Coach, Murray Garvin. Coach Garvin finished his sixth full season as the Head Men's Basketball Coach at South Carolina State. Garvin served two years as Associate Head Coach for the Bulldogs before being promoted to the full-time Head Coach in 2013. During the 2015-16 season, Garvin led the South Carolina State team to its best regular season finish since 2005 with a 19-15 overall mark including a 12-4 and MEAC mark. The Bulldogs finished a regular season tied for second place and advanced to the MEAC championship game and earned a postseason tournament bid to the CIT. For his efforts, Coach Garvin earned numerous Coach of the Year honors, among them MEAC Coach of the Year, NABC District 15 Coach of the Year. He was also a finalist for the Ben Job National Coach of the Year Award given to the top minority coach in the country. Prior to coming to South Carolina State, Garvin served on the coaching staffs at Winston-Salem State and Charleston Southern. He was the athletic director and head men's basketball coach at Clinton Junior College in Rock Hill, South Carolina from 2001 to 2005. During his time at Clinton Junior College, his teams had an overall record of 61-21 and 21 and never finished lower than second in the regular season conference standings. In 2004, Coach Garvin's team won the Carolina's Junior College Conference Division I Championship, and he was selected as the Carolina's Junior College Conference Coach of the Year. Before entering the college coaching arena, Coach Garvin served as an assistant coach at Tate's Creek High School in Lexington, Kentucky for three seasons. Coach, how you doing today? I'm doing good, John. It's an honor to join you and uh, anything that will help promote uh, basketball here in the state of South Carolina. To me, one of the, well, I don't think it's a secret anymore with the John Morants and, uh, you know, and the kids that are coming out, Zion Williamson and all those kids that are coming out and making a splash uh, in the NBA now. So it has become a hotbed of basketball. So I'm just excited to join you and uh, to do anything I can to help promote the sport. Well, coach, if I were to go, you know, a lot, of, a lot of coaches will talk about that. They'll say what a hotbed South Carolina is, but um, I did a little digging just earlier today and it's not even close. Your roster is made up of more South Carolina kids than any other Division One school in the state of South Carolina. And I'd probably imagine any other state or any other school in Division One basketball. So you may say it's a hotbed, but you also back it up with the amount of South Carolina kids uh, you have on your roster. Speak to that a little bit. Well, you know, that happened, uh, for one, uh, when I took over the program as head coach. It's amazing now. It's about seven years ago. I wanted to get more South Carolina kids because I thought it would uh, influence our attendance and our interest uh, here within the border of local people coming and attending our games and caring about what's going on at South Carolina State. And it's funny that you mentioned that because last year we was looking at that and I think we had maybe 12 guys from inside of South Carolina on our roster And I want high school coaches to know that we recruit the state of South Carolina. Now, some of that is out of necessity, and some of that is out of building a program and building a fan base that uh, South Carolinians will be proud of and, you know, come out and support. 
Well, yeah, I mean, you, your your roster's loaded with, with South Carolina kids, and you've always been gracious to our coaches association, willing to speak at different clinics and been very proactive. So as if I'm a high school senior, um, you know, or junior rising up, why should we come to South Carolina State and play basketball for you? Well, for one, you know, uh, South Carolina State has great basketball tradition of Coach Sy Alexander in the late 80s and you know, early 90s established a winning culture here at South Carolina State, uh, where he went to five NCAA tournaments, and majority of his teams was led by South Carolina players. And, you know, taking over the program several years ago, I just wanted to reestablish that. And it gives uh, young men the opportunity to play in South Carolina uh, to an atmosphere that I would compare to anyone on the mid-major level within the state for home games. And as you know, the HBCU and the MEAC crowd and game atmosphere is very, very exciting. And again, it's a Division I opportunity, and we play any and everybody. Uh, when you look at our schedule, I mean, since I've been the head coach here, we've played Syracuse University. Uh, we've played the University of Miami. We've played Washington University. We've played San Francisco, UCLA, Cincinnati. So the opportunity for exposure and to get a great education that is second to none is right here in the big, great city of Orangeburg. So why not come down and be a part of uh, something that you can have a legacy for the rest of your life with being a Bulldog and an alumni of South Carolina State University? Coach, I can certainly hear the passion that you have, and it's something I've always known about you um, f for a long time. Tell us a little bit about your, your coaching staff that you have. Well, my co uh, coaching staff uh, right now, I just went through a change. Since I've been here, uh, I've had one, two, three. I've had four of my coaches go on to, I would say, better jobs. Uh, three of them have left here and become head coaches over my time. Uh, the first one that left was Coach Ken Spencer, which was a big-time high school coach here in South Carolina. Uh, he established a winning culture out at Marlboro County in the late 90s um, and won a state championship out there. And then uh, Ken was on several college coaching staffs, and he and I worked together. He left me to go to Fayetteville State as a head coach almost four years ago now. Uh, this past year, Coach Bobby Collins, which uh, was a Bobby was a career head coach both at Winston Salem State, Hampton University, uh, and Maryland Eastern Shore. He just departed our program just a couple of months ago, and he became the head coach at Shaw University. Uh, so right now, that leaves me with Ed Stevens. He is a local product, uh, played at Gray. Um, great collegiate with coach Dion Bethay. Uh, Ed before that played at lower Richland where he was a high school star. Uh, he and EJ Eves paired up there and they later came to South Carolina state and were teammates. And I would say that Ed had a hall of fame career and my associate head coach is coach Rio Pitt. Rio is a graduate of South Carolina state and originally from uh, Canada but Rio has been on staff and a student at South Carolina State for the past 13 years. And, um, you know, so that 
is my coaching staff at the moment. I'm currently in the hiring process where I won't mention the new coach that we're hiring because things aren't done yet, but I'm very excited about our coaching staff. I think we got a staff that can relate to young people that know the game of basketball and they're very familiar with the competition level in the MEAC. And I think that is very important moving forward. Tell me a little bit about how you and your staff are handling these days. We're in the middle of the coronavirus crisis, and there's interesting times, whether it be recruiting uh, future players or taking care of your current players. How are y'all handling handling that now? Well, it, it is a new normal, John. Uh, we I've had more video conference calls, uh, team meetings over Zoom than I could have ever imagined. I mean, you know, that's mainly what our day consists of. Uh, every morning we have a staff meeting at about 10:20 a.m. and uh, we develop our plan for the day and things that we need to attack. Uh, everything I haven't actually seen my coaching staff in person. I would say we're probably on about four weeks now uh, that I haven't even seen my guys uh, in person. So. We're communicating over the computer and by cell phone. I think this has really changed. I don't know if you need to come into the office anymore, especially if your students aren't here. Um, you know, we've been doing everything by phone and over the computer. I mean, I'm talking about from getting contracts for games uh, process to, you know, academic meetings with our players to academic meetings with our uh, athletic administration. I mean, it, it's just all kind of changed. But what I'm most proud of is, I guess, everyone coming together and finding a way right now, you know, uh, just finding a way, not making it an excuse uh, just trying to find a way in order to get things accomplished. And our guys have responded well. You know, it's different because, you know, they would still be on campus right now. And if they don't get an assignment, we're really just talking to them about integrity. And it's about your education. So you get, you know, I send text out probably three or four times a week about we're not on vacation right now. You know, and that's mainly to our team that the sitting vacation. I mean, you still got homework assignments that you have to follow through on. And it's a little different because a lot of them, they, they didn't intend to be in online classes. And to be honest with you, some of them don't need to be in online classes, but it's just like you got to make an adjustment. So it, it's been different, but uh, I am proud of our efficiency and our teamwork not just by our guys in our program, but our whole athletic administration has done an outstanding job of trying to coordinate this effort. Let's go back to when you first decided to get into coaching. I believe your first coaching job was an assistant high school coach, if I'm not mistaken. What what led you to get into coaching? It's a funny story, man. Uh, my first coaching job was actually, and it probably didn't make my bio, but it was actually at the YMCA coaching 10 year olds on Saturday morning. And uh, that's with no practice during the week. And they just show up on Saturday morning and, you know, they might not score 10 points in a 20 minute game. And that was actually my first coaching job back in 1996. And then I went on to coach uh, assistant on the high school level and really 
I wanted to go back after I finished school at Eastern Kentucky University. I wanted to do for young people what my coach and what my coaches did for me. I never aspired to be a high school, I mean, a college basketball coach. That I, I didn't say, okay, I want to coach college basketball. I, I come from a very small town in eastern Kentucky uh, called Pikeville, Kentucky. And you held in high regard the local high school basketball coach and the local high school football coach. I mean, those were the most influential people in the town. And I just wanted to have that impact, you know. And uh, when I finished school, my high school coach actually asked me, what did I want to do? And I'll tell you a story that tied into South Carolina before I even dreamed of relocating here. I went and became a volunteer high school coach at a school called Tate's Creek High School in Lexington, Kentucky. Well, that is the alma mater and the high school coach was the coach of the previous South Carolina head coach, Darren Horn. So Tate's Creek High School is where Darren Horn actually went to high school. And I coached with his high school coach by the name of Nolan Barger, which was a high school coaching legend in the state of Kentucky, where he won over 800 high school basketball games. And uh, I got the coaching bug, man, through that experience. Yeah, I don't think people understand. I, I was born in the state of Kentucky, and oh wow, to to understand, I know basketball, high school basketball, college basketball in that state is a whole nother level, and so I completely understand what you talk about and how people hold certain people in high regard, coaches in high regard in that state when it comes uh, to basketball, uh, for right. sure. Who are some of the people that had the biggest influence on you as a coach? Well, I would say young as a as a young, um, hmm. my high school coach was probably one of the most influential people. Um, he was the he was the president of the Kentucky High School Basketball Coaches Association, which is hard to explain to people the significance of that. But in Kentucky, the high school they have a separate high school basketball hall of fame. <laughs> you know, it's totally separate from all the other hall of fames. And, you know, um, his name was Coach Ken Trivett. Um, he is still someone that is very, very influential in my life. And he is the reason that I got into coaching along with all my little league and junior high. You know, coming from a small town, I was recently honored as a distinguished alum of my high school. And at this ceremony last spring, I probably got to see... 80% of the coaches that had me from little league all the way through high school. And I don't know if there's too many towns that you still have that, you know, I went to, I, I come from a place, John, where I went to school with the same people from K through 12. And, you know, that's just not common anymore. And, um, you know, so I would say coach Trevitt and then also, uh, growing up in Kentucky, I would be remiss if I didn't mention the impact of Rick Patino, Tubby Smith, uh, Denny Crum. You know, th th that's all that you saw, man. Kentucky basketball was like an NBA program in Kentucky. Uh, and I think that was on purpose. 
So those were a lot of my influences at a young age. And I was just talking to another coach and I'd be, uh, I would be wrong if I didn't mention the first time that I saw John Thompson as a coach on national TV when they beat Kentucky in the final four, I believe was the first time I seen a really uh, African-American head coach with a predominantly all all African-American basketball team. That was just something outside of the Globetrotters that you didn't see. And so John Thompson and Nolan Richardson and John Chaney, all of those guys, and of course, Tubby Smith, uh, just that verified that it was possible for me to become a coach. Do you ever have a chance to meet coach Thompson? Actually I did. Um, it, it was very brief, you know, it was just shaking his hands. It was almost to honor him. I, I got to meet him at a final four and, uh, it was just, Hey, I've always been a fan. Thank you for what you did. And, you know, I, I was sitting there, you know, almost in awe because actually in that meeting, I believe it was John Thompson and John Cheney, they were eating at a restaurant together. And I just happened to meet them because I was with a group of coaches. Yeah, I know but that. Was, mm-hmm. Yeah. I know those type of experiences are probably, you know, they're, I, I love running into coaches and people that you admire, you chance meetings. And uh, I think that, that is that is outstanding. And what you go back to say, I don't think people can really understand, unless you've been there, how the state of Kentucky treats basketball at times. And, yeah, you know, yeah. I mean, I'll never forget going back a couple of times. I, mean, I think my grandmother knew more about the head basketball coaches at Kentucky and Louisville than they did about the president of the United States. Oh, absolutely, man. Absolutely. You know, um, it's a unique, it's a very unique situation. And again, I get excited talking about it, but, you know, not until recent years did they actually award more than one state champion. You know, they play one state tournament uh, and they call it the Sweet 16 when they get all the regional winners and they bring them to Rupp Arena and they have a tournament for the week. And I believe they had, you know, I remember when I was in school, Spring break was during the state championship week and you would have crowds at Rupp Arena of 24,000, 25,000 for a high school basketball game. And uh, it's just second to none. You know, I've heard people talk about Indiana basketball. I would say it's very close um, in similarities and uh, it's just something I'll never forget playing high school basketball in the state of Kentucky where you get one state champion. Yeah. I know that's got a great atmosphere. And one of these days I'd love to go see a, a state championship weekend in, in Kentucky. I mean, my first time in Rupp arena, I was a freshman at the university of South Carolina. It was coach Vogler's second year. So this was the 94, 95 season. We go play Kentucky during the middle of the week. We weren't particularly good at the time. And I just remember walking around the hotel area. There was a mall nearby and this was a Tuesday or Wednesday that we played and it felt like during the day, like it was a home football game at the University of South Carolina. And it, it, it was incredible. And I'm and I was one of those. I was a young freshman wondering, well, how how are people going to treat us? You know, how is it going to be? Is the stands really going to be full? We get to the arena. It is absolutely packed. I mean, the upper decks <laughs> right. were packed. I mean, w- and we had a sub five hundred record. We weren't particularly good, but the atmosphere 
was absolutely incredible inside Rupp Arena on any normal Tuesday, Wednesday game. And, you know, they certainly love their basketball on a whole nother level. And I'll never forget walking around the mall. I saw a Rick Patino cookbook. And I realized at that point in time, this was a whole nother level. Uh, and I knew it was already a whole nother level. When you see a Rick Patino cookbook in, in the mid nineties, that was something that was completely uh, incredible uh, to, to me. Now tell right. me as a coach, what are you most proud of of your time as a basketball coach? Man, uh, seeing these young men come in from boys wearing tank top shirts and sometimes their pants sagging to graduating wearing suits and ties and yes, sir, and no, sir, and being clean cut. Uh, just watching the maturation of young men. Um, my time at South Carolina State, we have graduated probably, you know, I don't know if people are familiar with the APR, which is your annual percentage of graduation, but we're right at, I think, maybe about 96%, something like that. And, you know, just watching those guys grow up um, and leave your program and, you know, ready to be productive citizens. Um, I, I really get excited about that. Uh, and just seeing, you know, guys that didn't believe, you know, that, hey, I, I'm going to be a college graduate and watching the smiles on their family's face when the journey is complete, you know, and that's what I'm going to miss from this spring, John. Um, this year I had about, I think, maybe eight seniors that were scheduled to graduate. And I was looking forward to that graduation day, seeing those guys in their cap and gowns. Uh, six out of the eight, I believe, would have had yellow cords and graduated with honors. And that was going to be a special day uh, just to see them, man. Uh, some of them have been in our program for four years and, you know, just to see those guys graduate. I, I think we were all looking forward to that day and how special that would have been to have all those families there for that occasion. I would say that's the number one thing is just seeing them mature. Yeah. I think this, this time of the year, it's going to be very different not to have graduations like they've been. And I'm, I'm with you hundred percent. I love seeing the guy, the young men graduating on the high school level and the journeys that they, they go through. Now, what are, what are some non-negotiables for you as a basketball coach for your players? Oh man, you got to have great character. Um, guys that have low, low character, you know, uh, they might sneak in the door but they're not going to stay around very long if you're not good people. Um, and we've been blessed that we hadn't had a, low, a whole lot of guys that have displayed lack of character, uh, but that is something that is a non-negotiable. Well, we want you to be uh, a good man. You know, uh, we have a phrase in our program that everyone uh, knows as soon as I start to say it, and it's a disciplined man is a free man. And that is something that we teach them from day one. And what we mean by that is if you do the right things and you do what you're supposed to do, you're not looking over your shoulder. You know, you're not worrying about someone finding out that you didn't do something that you were expected to do. You know, that if you have the discipline to study for your test, you know, you're going to be free when you go in and you take that exam because you know that you put in the work and that carries over on the court in the classroom and in your personal life, 
that a disciplined man is a free man. And uh, that's something that, you know, we, we try to hammer in immediately when you're a part of our mm-hmm. program here at South Carolina State. That's, that's really good stuff, and I completely agree. What would you say is the toughest part about your job now as a, a head Division One basketball coach? Oh, man. Um, I know there's more than probably part. just one. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, you know. Um, but I've learned over the years that everyone has a tough job, no matter what the glitz and glamour around their job may be. Uh, their problems are relevant to their level. You know, uh, Frank Martin has a tough job at South Carolina. He may make uh, a great deal of money, but compared to the University of Kentucky, you know, he's still got a long ways to go, per se, in different avenues to compete with Kentucky. You know, the University of Kentucky is a tough job for Coach Calipari because he's got to compete with Kansas and he's got to compete with Duke and all the blue bloods, per se, in the sport. So I've learned that everyone has a tough job. I I would probably say, you know, uh, hmm, just trying to get more with less. You know, uh, we don't have all the bells and whistles. You know, I don't have a practice facility here at South Carolina State. You know, I don't have the the unlimited budget, per se, that some schools may have, you know, in different aspects. Um, you know, so that makes my job tough. But again, tough jobs are relevant no matter what level. And I've also learned not to complain about what you have because someone can take your situation and be successful in it. So I'm one of 354 Division I head coaches. I'm grateful for the opportunity. Again, South Carolina State has impacted my life, uh, my family's life. It has given me the chance to live a dream. And uh, we're just continue to do the best that we possibly can with the opportunity that we have. Yeah, I've never once heard you ever complain about anything that you didn't have. I've only heard you speak very positively, and, and, and you're you, you're a forward thinker for sure. What what are some of the best players you've coached against? Is there a Mount Rushmore or a time or two of somebody you played against mm-hmm. that you just couldn't stop or they just stick with you? Hmm. Um, wow. Uh, wasn't ready for that one. I would think on it. How about some of the best players that I've coached? <laughs> Let's go with that. Let's go. I, that's yeah. good. Uh, probably one of the most talented kids that I've ever coached. And again, this is 24 years in coaching. Um, I would rank right up there toward the top as a young man from Columbia by the name of Eric Eats. Um, just a dynamic score. A dime, wow. EJ was phenomenal. Um, I didn't have to coach a whole lot when I was coaching EJ Eves. It was more or less just get the ball to him and you guys get out of the way. Uh, he could just really create his own offense and was very efficient at scoring the basketball. And it didn't matter what level we played against. Uh, EJ was phenomenal. You know, he had 20 point games, I believe versus Clemson versus uh, uh, Texas A&M. I think he scored 28 against Texas A&M. And uh, in two years, he scored over, I think, over 1,400 points. And he was the fastest player to 1,000 points in South Carolina State history. Um, 
you know, so that's a whole lot of ball players when you say he scored scored the most points in school history in the shortest amount of time. Uh, another young man is on my coaching staff now, uh, Ed Stevens. Ed was another Columbia product that could shoot the ball unbelievable. I think he ended his career with about 1,500 points himself and shot over 40% from three-point range. I uh, actually had a kid that got drafted into the NBA G League by the name of Matt Hezekiah that was down here. And uh, Matt was a Jacksonville, Florida native, about six foot ten. Actually got a workout with the Los Angeles Lakers. And uh, his story was just phenomenal, and it was incredible to watch him. And then another young man by the name of Daryl Palmer from Timberland High School that played for Coach Stewart up there at Timberland that ended his career as the all-time leading shot blocker. Um, you know, those are just a few. This past year, we just graduated probably another young man that had a Hall of Fame career here by the name of Damani Applewhite that um, scored over 1,700 points and had over, I think, over 700 rebounds in his four-year career. And he was a Fayetteville, North Carolina native, and probably one of the guys that impacted my life the most uh, is another young man from Charleston by the name of Ty Solomon. Uh, Ty Solomon was our point guard here and gained national news for the incident. I don't know if you are familiar with it when he collapsed on the court at North Carolina state mm -hmm. and uh, was resuscitated uh, through CPR from our athletic trainers, that was probably one of the most influential moments of my life, not just in coaching, but uh, Ty impacted all of us with his courageous uh, play and his ability to bounce back from that horrific incident. Well, I'm, I do remember that very well, and that's I'm, I'm, I can't even imagine how – the range of emotions in a quick period of time that, that you and your, your program had to go through during that time. Uh, it, it was probably some of the toughest days that I've been through as a coach. Uh, you don't prepare for that. You know, you just don't prepare for it. And, uh, you know, without talking too much about it, um, just out of respect for Ty, um, I would just tell people to just Google that whole scenario because it was all captured, you know, live on TV. And uh, you could punch in on Google South Carolina State player collapses and you could almost see the entire story. And it was one of the few times in my life that I actually seen a miracle take place right before my eyes. And it takes my breath away talking about it right now, man. Well, I, I can certainly hear it. And uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it. Uh, I, I witnessed a miracle right there on the basketball court, and it has impacted everything that I've done ever since. And I'm just glad the young man is okay. Uh, he's had to make an adjustment in his life. I talked to him maybe a month or two ago. We're trying to work on him finishing school and getting his degree. But just just being alive, man, sometimes you take that for granted. No. And I, I'm glad he's still here. Yeah, uh, that's certainly a, a blessing for sure. What is a game, since you've been at South Carolina State, that if you could go back and relive and do it all over again, what's the one game that brought you the most joy? 
Oh man. Um, wow. Probably we beat the university of Houston. Um, we beat the university of Houston when coached by Kelvin Sampson at Houston. Um, beating them was a, a huge game for a lot of reasons. Uh, the main reason, you know, first we're little old South Carolina state and you're out there playing at Houston and you look up and you see Clyde Drexler's Jersey, Hakeem Olajuwon's Jersey. Um, and we beat them probably two days prior. We got beat by 50 by Texas tech and Tubby Smith. And then we go and beat Houston the very next game. Uh, that was a game. I'll never forget that locker room. You know, there's a saying uh, in basketball that anytime that you can get the check and the W, <laughs> those are special moments. And uh, we were able to do that at Houston. And uh, that that was uh, an amazing feeling. Um you know, and we've been able to get a couple of those guarantee game wins. But when you ask, that is one of the first ones that pop in my head uh, was winning that game at Houston. Well, I know that was a, certainly a big win for you and, and your program. And anytime you can beat a team like that and a, a coach Kelvin Sampson coach team, I mean, that's a heck of an accomplishment uh, for sure. Now, how do y'all handle when you go on those road trips and road games? Do you have a particular philosophy as a coach when you handle that? Well, you know, a lot of people ask that because there's been years that we've been in the top 10 for toughest schedules in college basketball. In Division One college basketball, there was one year that we had the number one toughest schedule prior to conference play in the country. Um, you know, and, and those games take place for it, – it's, it's really interesting, John. You – when you're not – how do I say it? When you're not a premier team, your phone rings off the hook with opportunities to play. You know, now when you're good on this level, you can't find a game. Nobody wants to play you. So after the 2015-16 season, when we, we won 20 games, 19 games that year, and we lost in our conference tournament championship game, uh, that next year, 2016-17, nobody wanted to play us uh, because we had a great deal of guys returning, and that's when we had EJ Eads, Ed Stevens, Greg Mortimer, Daryl Palmer. I mean, we were really good the next year as well. Uh, we couldn't find a game, so we had to go play everybody. And I look at that as an opportunity to get our program exposure that we wouldn't get otherwise. Um, you also, sometimes it even helps in recruiting because you can tell a kid, hey, we're going to play Syracuse. You know, we're going to play Miami at Miami. You know, we're going to play uh, Texas A&M. Uh, we got Clemson on the schedule, South Carolina on the schedule. So I try to make it a positive uh, for our guys. And then also when we take those trips, I try to make it more, more about the experience as well. Because you're going to go in, you might be a 20-point underdog, uh, but how many times would you have the chance to go to the San Francisco, the Golden Gate Bridge? You know, uh, how many times would you get to go to Poly Pavilion and play UCLA and you get to go in UCLA's Hall of Champions? 
Um, you know, how, how many times do you get to go to the Carrier Dome and go and compete against Syracuse University? Uh, one year we played the University of Washington. I took them to Pike's Fish Market. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> and, and our team, we're out there throwing fish and catching fish. Like, I think there was an episode on Seinfeld years ago uh, where they're at the fish market in Seattle. You know, and I took my guys and we experienced that. Uh, when we played Syracuse, we landed and there was like three feet of snow on the ground. Well, I got a bunch of Southern kids that some of them had never seen snow before like that. So they're out there making snow angels and a snowball fight. And <laughs> I mean, so, you know, it's bigger than basketball in our program. And I try to make sure that we enjoy that in those moments. And also it's an education to be able to travel across the country and just see different parts of the country. And the only thing they're paying for is with their sweat and their effort. So I tell them, I was like, guys, when you graduate, staying at these hotels, man, and traveling, uh, you might not make it back here. So <laughs> make sure you take it all in. And uh, what's funny is you go into those games, John, and you want to have your competitive edge, but you walk in to practice and you see guys making videos walking in the practice facility, you know, <laughs> or they're making videos walking into the arena uh, because it looks a little different than what we play in here at South Carolina State. When you pull the, when you pull the charter bus all the way up into the arena, <laughs> you know, that, that's a little different. And, uh, but they enjoy it and it's been good for our program. Well, and I got to believe too. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm a big believer of travel and, and playing really good, a really good schedule. And I've got to believe that's only helped you when you went into your conference play. Yeah, it, it, it's uh, now I'm going to be honest with you. It's a gift and a curse, man. It's a gift and a curse. And the reason I say that is when you have a great number of those games and you're not successful, see athletes are wired to think that they can beat anybody and everybody. Yep. So you go in and you play a bunch of these high major programs and you get beat, see your confidence level gets beat up. You know, sometimes the guys think their teammate isn't very good. They don't think your plays work. They don't feel that you can coach. And they they don't think that, you know, why are we doing this, coach? It didn't work against Syracuse. Well, it didn't work because their guard is six foot eight and we're 5'11 and you couldn't see the rim, son. Uh, that set didn't work because they can recover coming off that ball screen because they're so big uh, and your shot window is so small against that type of uh, talent or that level of basketball player. That's why it didn't work. But when you have consecutive games where you're playing that level of competition, it can really, really destroy your psych and your mentality. And so you have to regroup going into conference play. And I tell a lot of people on this level, the teams that are able to keep their confidence and get back up off the mat after that guarantee, after that November, December schedule are usually the teams that are very successful in our league. Now, what helps you is the atmospheres are second to none. But when you get in conference play, it's a little bit tighter in the gyms that we play in. So it can benefit you by getting the experience, 
But what really helps you is when you compete at a high level against those teams. You know, the years I knew that we were going to be pretty good were the years that we lost to Texas A&M by eight points. Uh, we lost to South Carolina one year, I think, by four. Uh, we lost to, uh, you know, we, we just didn't get blown out the doors in those big games. You know, it, it just wasn't a cakewalk. And that's what you look for during those games. Like, can you hang in there? Can you be competitive with them so you're not beat down after that game, both physically and mentally? Yeah, no, that's uh, when I was at Ridgeview early on, we would schedule, when we were building the program, I mean, we scheduled some very difficult teams. We'd go play at Oak Hill Academy, playing the toughest games we possibly can. I mean, we had one year we won the region championship, but we had an overall losing record. Uh, we, when we played uh, people like Calhoun County, when they had Alshon Jeffrey, uh, and, and that was certainly a challenge, to your point, uh, to keep the confidence there. Um, but have an opportunity to play against those guys and do a little bit of travel at times. You know, I think those are things those guys are going to remember, the opportunity to go to uh, Pike's Place, the, the Fish Market, uh, the Carrier right. Dome, Poly Pavilion. I mean, those are things that th- those guys and those young men are, are, are certainly never going to forget. Absolutely. Absolutely. So let's, let's venture on down another little path. Do you think high school basketball should have a shot clock? Yes. Yes. I, I think it is past due. Um because, and let me say this, there's a couple of things in the game of basketball that I think uh, we all need to really put some thought into. The first thing is, if high school basketball is supposed to prepare you for college basketball, our rules should be the same. You know, um, we should have a shot clock. Does it have to be a 30-second shot clock? It, it can be 35 seconds. Uh, it can be 40 seconds in high school. I mean... But it needs to happen uh, just for preparation for young men to go to the next level, you know, um, and it should probably just be varsity basketball. But when uh, our team has had the luxury to go play in Canada and in other countries um, on these foreign tours and they're playing with a shot clock in middle school and those kids are more prepared for the transition to the college game because of that experience. Um, you know, I, I know one of the main things is the extra, the extra cost of it, you know, but if we can put down three point lines and we can repaint floors and teams can get new uniforms. I think an extra person at the scores table and the equipment over time, I think we can afford for every high school to implement shot clocks. I mean, especially if you make it a part of the game. I mean, if it's mandatory, that's just the cost of playing ball. And I believe we all can do that. Um, and I just think it helps elevate our high school game. Um, for for that very reason and you know some of those things often impact recruiting you know and uh, you say well coach how can you tie in having a shot clock in high school to impact recruiting it's about being prepared for the college level so if you're a coach and say you got a short window on your contract do you take a kid that has never played college basketball or do you tap into this transfer portal 
and you get a kid that has had some college games under his belt and is more prepared to play uh, immediately compared to making that adjustment from high school to, you know, to college ball. So I think it all is uh, relevant. And I really, really, really would love to see in the United States for us to have shot clocks on the high school level. I completely agree with you. I mean, I know there's a lot of challenges. There's the cost. There's simply getting people to understand how to reset a shot clock and having someone to do that. But to me, those are all excuses and things that um, I, I think eventually we're, we are going to have a shot clock. It's just a matter of is it going to be sooner rather than later. What mm-hmm. what would, advice would you give to a young man that's in high school playing basketball trying to get a scholarship at the next level? What advice would you give him? Uh, every opportunity is an interview. Um, and what do I mean by that? You know, uh, every time you step on the court, man, you are creating a opportunity for yourself. So you want to make sure that you do all that you can in order to stand out from the rest of the pack. Um, You know, of course, your ability on the court is the number one thing that garners you attention. If you can play, people will find you. People will talk about you your name will get out there. But if you display bad character, you're going to be a flash in the pan. Academics and athletics go hand in hand. You know, uh, you cannot be a below average student anymore and make it on the college level, you know, because coaches' contracts are tied in the academic performance just as much as they're tied in the winning. And, You have to make sure that you are academically ready to be a college student athlete. And you do that by having exceptional grades on the high school level to help give you that opportunity. So you don't have to go to junior college or or you don't have to go another route. And I don't want people to think that going to junior college is a bad thing. Uh, Sometimes you go to junior college because you hadn't received the exposure that you, you know, wish you could have uh, received and you need another opportunity to play in front of college coaches. And it's not such a bad thing, but it is a tough route because the NCAA has made it even harder for kids to go that route and get back to division one basketball. But I would just tell them, man, to go as hard as you can and work on your craft. Um, and then also watch what you put on social media. You know, social media, uh, I've stopped recruiting kids because of their social media. Um, And some of them have been pretty good basketball players, but I like to go to sleep at night and I don't want to have to worry about what a kid is doing off the court just because he can score 20 points a game. Now, a lot of college coaches will tell you your problems your uh, your output need to outweigh your problems. And anytime that gets lopsided the other way, that's when you got to go. <laughs> if your problems outweigh your output, you're not going to last very long. Um, so I would just say, man, that there's a lot that goes into it. Um, and you have to decipher, you know, what's really important to you. Is it likes? on social media 
are, are you doing it for that? Or are you doing it because you're trying to create an opportunity for yourself to be a college player? What are some things that turn you off social media wise that you see high school athletes doing? I'm not talking about them posting, you know, something with, uh, you know, bad language in it or anything about drugs or anything like when they're trying to promote themselves or their game and what they do, what are some things that advice you would, you give to them or say, you tell, tell players, stop doing that. Yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> no, I would tell you it, it's highlight films. It's highlight films with bad language. And you think the highlight film is going to help you in recruiting. Uh, most coaches are going to want to see game film. I would say more high school kids are going to have to learn to make profiles that are attractive to college coaches in the sense, if you send me a highlight film, John, and it's a minute and 30 seconds, you better be doing some Dominique Wilkins, Michael Jordan type stuff out there on the court. Um, But if that highlight film is 10 minutes long, 12 minutes long, and you're doing a lot of different things I could gauge if you're a pretty good player if it's that long, but these minute and a half highlights and you are showing me that you're walking through the starting lineup and you got a fancy handshake with your teammate, that ain't going to help you none. (laughs) You know, I don't want to see you, you know, come through the tunnel (laughs) and that takes up 10 seconds of your highlight film or your handshake with your teammate. I would just say, man, get straight to the point and show me the different things that you do on the court and really emphasize the things you do well. I don't even want to see you shoot free throws on the highlight film. You know, or, <laughs> some guy or uncontested some put, layups. Yeah, or uncontested layups unless you're putting your armpit in the rim, you know, uh then then I'll say, "Oh, okay." Yeah. But just a breakaway layup and your hands 3 feet below the backboard uh, I'm going to think you really can't play. <laughs> you got to be able to drop that ball off above the rim or dunk it or something, you know? So it's just those little tidbits that uh, if kids would uh, realize that that's not really important, you know, and, and then take out the bad language in those videos. You know, uh, I, I've had those two where I've had to turn down the computer you know, because you got cursing all through your highlight video. And, you know, that speaks a lot, too, about your awareness. You know, not necessarily your character, but your awareness of why would I put this on something that I'm trying to get a $200,000 sometimes uh, scholarship to go play somewhere, but I I got this as my theme music. Let me ask you, have you ever felt like something you saw on social media is what led you to recruit and eventually land a player. Something I saw on social media has that influenced. Uh, yeah, it, it, it could, it could help. Um, you know, I did see one kid uh, that was volunteering at a place, you know, where he was feeding homeless people and then his character matched his ball game. I mean, he was a really good player, but he also had a social conscience and he was out uh, feeding, feeding someone, I think at a homeless shelter, he might've been volunteering, you know, and it just kind of showed his whole, his whole roundness as a human being. And I thought that was very appealing that it made me want to get to know this young man even more, 
you know, uh, it could be things like that, that I've seen that before. Okay. On a little bit different note, have you ever not recruited a guy because of maybe family members or parents and you realize it just wasn't worth it? Oh, um, now I consider myself a pretty strong willed, uh, basketball coach, pretty thick skin. Um, I never forget, and I won't name the young man or his family. I'll just tell you the scenario. This kid was, uh, it jumped off the tape that this kid was phenomenal. I mean, it, it jumped off the tape. And this kid, he was actually from out of state. But I had a lot of friends in this area, and I made the phone call to ask. And this kid was ready to commit. Uh, he actually had family that went to South Carolina State. His dad graduated. That's what it was. His father was a graduate of the school and played basketball. Okay. And uh, I made the phone call to this area of like, how is this kid available? There is so many universities in between here and South Carolina State. How is this kid still available. He had the transcript. He was like a 3.0 student. He was a beautiful kid. Um, he had all the mannerisms. I mean, there was nothing wrong with this young man. And I made the phone call to some of my friends in the area. And they said, uh, have you met his father? And I was like, what do you mean? He was like, his dad has been kicked out of gyms all over this high school region because of his conduct during games. And I said, wow. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I still wasn't afraid to recruit the kid, but it cost him opportunities locally. You know, uh, from where he was from, people really backed off from recruiting him because of the actions of his parents. Um, and I felt bad for the young man. You know, it came down to it. Um, we we still offered him a scholarship. I had to have a, a real conversation with his family. I did tell them, you know, because they didn't understand or they seemed that they didn't understand why his recruitment wasn't where they thought it should be. Uh, this was a kid that was offered by SEC schools when he was in 10th grade and going into his junior year. And then all of a sudden his recruitment just dropped. I mean, it's like the bottom fell out of his recruitment. And I had to have a, a, a tough conversation with them about why that had happened. And if he chose to come to South Carolina state, this is what I won't tolerate. And, um, uh, you know, at the end of the day, uh, he decided to go another route. And but I've seen that affect recruitment. So, yes, parents are very influential in the process. You know, I don't mind you supporting your son, but let's not be obnoxious. You know, at the end of the day, coaches want to win. And, you know, you try to play kids that help you win games. And um, that's just the bottom line, you know. And I tell people, you know, and I, I want all coaches, John, I want all coaches to stop saying this lie. This is a lie that most coaches tell. They say that they don't have favorites. John, CEOs at 
corporate, you know, Fortune 500 companies have favorites. And those favorites are people that produce. Yes. You know, I do play favorites. I play the people that produce. And it's your job to become one of my favorites. <laughs> and so if we can get coaches to start being honest and saying, yes, I do play favorites. I play the kids that produce. I play the kids that do what I ask them to do, and they do it at an exceptional level. And those guys usually get first crack at it. You know, those guys usually get more playing time than people that don't produce. <laughs> so if I can, if we can make a universal, uh, what do they call it? Uh, uh, a signature or <laughs> where you get everybody to sign. Yeah. Get a petition. Coaches. Yeah. 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 Petition coaches. We do play favorites. <laughs> yes, we play the people that help us win games. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. No, coach, Absolutely. I completely agree with you a hundred percent. I had a parent one time tell me, because I disciplined her child about something that said, I, I just, I was teaching him too many lessons in life. And she was upset with that. And, you know, I, I just something that always blows my mind from, from time to time. Now tell yeah. me one last question here. Why are you excited about the 2020, 2021 South Carolina state basketball season? Oh, wow. Um, I'm excited because we have a almost an entirely new team. Okay. We have everybody in the country right now is dealing with the same issue. Like the for the first time, the tables have basically not necessarily been turned, but everybody's on equal footing right now. See, there's no school in session. Nobody has access to their facility. And we all have the opportunity to get better and we all have to find a way to get better without all of the access that we normally have. And so next fall, you know, God willing, and this COVID-19 uh, gets behind us, see, everybody's going to come to campus. And it's really up to what you have done over the summer on your own. Um, and I just think that levels the playing field, you know. Uh, the the kid that is going to the University of Kentucky, he can't get in his gym right now either. You know, so what are you going to do in order to separate yourself? And I, I, I'm just excited to see how young people respond to this adversity. You know, we always tell them that you're more than a basketball player. Well, right now you got to prove it. And it kind of happened abruptly. So, you, you have to train in the driveway. You have to work out in the house. You know, uh, you have to go run the pavement. Uh, you might not, I know you're not able to go to a gym anywhere right now per se, but you're going to have to find a way. And uh, I'm just excited to see where that happens. And, you know, our recruiting class, in spite of COVID-19, probably one of the best recruiting classes that we've landed in some time here. And that's just not coach talk. Uh, that is being really honest about it. I'm really excited about the kids that we've signed. Um, we've got some local kids. Uh, I, I won't put their names out there because the scholarship paper hasn't been signed by compliance, but you'll see it here 
very shortly, you know, some local kids that have signed on uh, to come to South Carolina State. And then we got some kids from around the country uh, that have signed to come in and play for us. We signed a kid. I can mention him because his work has been processed. We got a kid from North Carolina that averaged 35 points a game in high school. Wow. Now, I don't know how we got him out of North Carolina, um, but he averaged 35 a game. And, you know, I know they say he played for a small school, but if I can get 10 of those points or 12 of those points as a freshman, I think that will be phenomenal. Um, And I'm excited about our style of play. You know, we're going to probably play a little bit faster than we have in the past. And we're going to incorporate a little bit more full court pressure. And, you know, uh, for the first time, John, I'm really looking at going into the analytics part of basketball. And I'm going to see how that works for us. You know, maybe taking more threes, you know, uh, I know it's simple math that if you make, if you make 10 threes and you make two 10 twos, I'm going to beat you. (laughs) That's simple math. Well, in order to make those, you got to take more threes and then you got to have kids that can shoot it. And we've targeted that in our recruiting and we're, we're, we're going to look at that. You know, I'm calling it uh, running fun, running fun basketball next year. Um, you know, uh, the kids, hopefully they bite on that with the fun part. But, you know, as well as I do, running is hard, hard, hard. It is. And uh, yeah, uh, but, you know, you attach fun to it and they say, OK, <laughs> yes, coach, I'll do it. You attack, uh, you attach. Hey, man, if you're open, shoot the three. OK, I'll run. <laughs> so <laughs> that, That's what we're going to try to do next year. And I, that's why I'm excited about the upcoming season. Well, Coach, thank you so much for your time today. We certainly appreciate it. We're excited to see uh, your journey going forward and South Carolina State's journey going forward. I can hear the passion and excitement in your voice uh, for what you've already have accomplished at South Carolina State, but what you're going to continue to build in the young men there at, at, at the university. So thank you again for your time today. Man, thank you. And again, anything I can do for basketball in the state of South Carolina, I'm a phone call away. And uh, I can't wait for things to get back to the new normal. And if the high school league or anybody needs me for anything, please don't hesitate to reach out and contact me. Coach, we'll certainly do that. Thank you so much. All right. You've been listening to the Balmetto State Podcast. For our show notes and other valuable information, please visit our website at balmeadowstate.com. We would love to connect with you on social media and hear what you think. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook by going to at Balmetto State. Thank you for investing your time with us.